0: If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me toward the end of the the Word of God, and that is toward uh, Revelation. And when you get to Revelation, back up just a couple of books to the epistle of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3 is our text today. We're only going to look at just a few verses, 8, 9, and 10. But as we do, we're going to go back into our series that we have been studying uh, for many weeks entitled Living Truth. Uh, 1 Peter, we called it Living Hope. And 2 Peter, uh, we're entitling it Living Truth. If you have slept between now and uh, the last time we we talked about 1 Peter, let me me give you just a a recap, just a summary of the Apostle Peter, his life, his ministry, and his objective as he begins uh, writing. In 1 Peter, he talks about two primary themes, suffering and submission. Suffering and submission. He is at the end of his life. It is around A.D. 64, 65, and um, prior to his death, just probably even weeks, if not months before his death, well, he would be martyred, he would be executed by hanging upside down on a cross by the emperor Nero. Again, somewhere around A.D. 65. He writes this, these amazing chapters about the people of God, the children of God. We are to be people who are under authority. There is to be submission in the home, There is to be submission in the workplace, and there is to be submission in church, and there is to be submission ultimately uh, to Almighty God. And also, he talks about this theme of suffering. It's not a matter of if, but it is when you suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. And then he he comes on on into 2 Peter, and the theme really is the theme of truth. Within the church, there were a group of people. There was a group of people known as, well, they're just false teachers, false prophets, and they promulgated or they promoted, they presented, they preached their brand of the gospel. And it went basically something like this. Hey, listen, guys, chill out. Don't No, no worries because God has come. He's forgiven us all. We're all going to heaven, so it really doesn't matter how you live. In, in theological terms, this is called antinomianism. It's anti, which is against, and nomos is the Greek word for law. It's anti-law. There are no laws. Eat, drink, and be merry, and do whatever you want, and tomorrow we die, and we all go to heaven. That's the brand of the gospel they were preaching in 2 Peter. And Peter comes along, and he says, well, wait a minute. That's not true at all. We are to live lives of service and submission to God. We are to be born again by the Spirit of God. And we are to live a very calculated, fundamental, different quality of life in honor to God because He has saved us. So can't do this libertarian, antinomian thing. No, we are people under authority. And we are a people who are going to follow the example of Christ. And so as we kind of conclude, move toward the end of 2 Peter, we'll share this message with you in a couple more and then uh, we will wrap, wrap up our study on living truth. So let, let, let me read verses 8, 9, and 10 and just kind of bring you in uh, to our study today. Peter says, agape toy, beloved, do not forget this one thing. In, in the Greek New Testament, this is a present imperative with the strongest way that you can write it in Greek. It's a strong imperative with the neg- ne- negative word "may." And so, a better translation of this word would be stop. Okay? That's a, that's a different, but that's a better translation in the Greek New Testament. Whenever you have a present imperative with the strong negation may, the better translation is stop. I give you the command expressly to stop forgetting. Stop forgetting this one thing. You say, well, what is he about to say? I mean, what have they forgotten? What have we forgotten? That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some would count slackness or slowness. But God is patient. God is long-suffering. God is amazingly patient and kind toward us. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all. Uh, What does the word all mean? I'm, I'm trying to figure that word out. I think it means all. God is not willing that any should perish, but that everybody should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be incinerated, or they will be uh, burned up. You say, well, why does Peter preface this word with such a strong, almost a rebuke to say, oh, church of God, stop forgetting? And here's why. You see, in the church, there was, there was that group. And they were going, guys... No worries. Eat, drink, be merry, sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. Do whatever you want to do because you're all forgiven. And we're all going to heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Peter says no. And then the false teachers came along and said, Well, listen, you guys got it all wrong. God will never judge us because God loves us. Therefore, do what you want to do because, look, over thousands of years— There has been no judgment. And they're using this argument called uniformity. Uniformity goes like this. Look at the distant past. There has been no cataclysmic, no catastrophic intervention of God. God has not judged us in the past. He's not judging us in the present. So why all get worked up in a spiritual lather? And why all this worry about a future judgment of God... Don't worry about it because thousands and thousands of years it hasn't happened and it will never happen. And Peter says, stop right there. Here's what you're forgetting. A day is like a thousand years to God. And a thousand years is like a day unto God. And, and, and by the way, verse 7, he backs up and I can back up and he says, you willfully forget this very important cataclysmic, catastrophic event that happened in Noah's day. You willfully forget that there was a flood. And the Bible says in Genesis 7 that the flood lasted for 40 days. The ark rose up to the mountaintops because the waters had so elevated and rose, and rose high And he says in Genesis chapter 7 that the earth was flooded for 150 days and everybody died. Billions of people died except eight. Eight people. Listen, God judged in the past. God will judge again in the future. So it really matters how you live. If there's a God, if Jesus Christ was not a fraud, then there is a a judgment. And this time, it will not be with a global flood. It will be with an incinerating heat, a mighty conflagration the world has never seen. In fact, John tells us that the entire heavens and earth will be evaporated, incinerated with heat, and all of those who do not know Christ they willfully reject him and forget him. They go to the lake of fire to hell, and God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And some of y'all are looking at me and going, wait a minute, time out. I like the false teacher's message a whole lot better than your message. What was that about? Eat, Woo. drink, party, get on down, do what you want to do. That's the gospel I like. That's the American version of Christianity that I want. I want to do what I want to do. I want to go where I want to go. I want to have sex with as many people as I possibly can. And I want to be inebriated. I want to be drunk every night. That's, the, that's what I want to do. And then I want to go to heaven when I die. Can I tell you, it doesn't work that way. But you can choose. You can choose. You can choose one or the other. But as for me and my house, We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve Christ. And we believe that the pleasures and the indulgences and the hedonistic value of life that the world offers pales into comparison to the life that Christ gives. A life of forgiveness, a life of hope, no guilt in life, no fear in death, a life of service, a life of humility, a life of giving my life to others as Christ taught us to do. But you have a choice. But here's the deal. You must choose. (laughs) You say, wait a minute, you're making me nervous. I thought I could have my cake and eat it too. You can't. You can choose Christ or you can choose the world, but you can't have both. Some of you are going, I don't know if I like that or not. I don't know if I like you or not. I don't even know if I like any of this or not. Well, that's just the way it is. Okay. There's grace and there's choice, then there's consequences, and there are laws. And today what I want to share this message with you is this. While there is still today, and you still have your volition, you have your will, you have the cognitive ability to decide, I want to prosecute the case of Christ today. I want to come to you as maybe an attorney, a heavenly attorney on the bar, to say, let me... Let me share with you, knowing the terror of the Lord, allow me to try to persuade you to choose Christ, to love Christ, to walk with Him, to serve Him, because it is far greater quality of life. Speaking of grace, I came across this story, and I, it'll take me just a minute, but I want to set my message up with this story, and then we'll go through the text, we'll go verse by verse, we'll study it together, and then we'll be dismissed about 2 o'clock or so. Okay. So... How many of y'all are familiar with Max Lucado? Have you ever read his? Oh, isn't it amazing? He, He is such an amazing gift. He pastors just south of us here in San Antonio, but he is, I've heard him speak live in person, but I tell you, he is an amazing author. And he wrote a book called He, Jesus, Chose the Nails. And it is a message about the sacrificial grace and love of God. He tells the story of Joe, the butcher from Minnesota. His wife gets pregnant. They're thrilled. They're going to have their first baby. It's a girl. They already have her name picked out. Her name is Madeline. But during childbirth, Madeline was born into this world. No complications, no difficulty for her. But in the process, her mom died. Joe's wife perished as she gave birth to Madeline. And it was so, I can't imagine. Some of you have walked down this road. You've experienced this. And so Joe and Madeline, you can imagine, they 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 got extremely close. And every Christmas they had a holiday tradition. And every Christmas Eve, they would all go to Joe's mother's home, the grandmom, and they would all gather around his family, and they would just sing and they would just have a, have a great time, and they would always close the night with a dance. And it was really cool for Madeline when she was five and Joe, the dad, and he would dance with his daughter, and they would wrap up the festivities, and they would go home. All that was good until Madeline became a teenager. Something happened to that girl when she became a teenager. And he could not for the life of him figure out what's up with the tight shirts, the pierced nose, and what's up with that dude down the street that keeps coming over to the house and spending time with you. And he watched his girl, and and Max Lucado said it was like a Minnesotan blizzard that blew in and changed his life and Madden's life drastically she was a teenager Christmassy time to dance and she looked at her dad she said you gotta be kidding <laughs> I'm beyond this I've outgrown this this is appalling basically I'm not into this anymore and she shut the door she went down the street She got with her boyfriend. They went down to um, to a bus stop, and they got on a bus, and they drove to Chicago, Illinois. And she said, I'm done. I'm checking out. Well, as you can imagine, the dad, Joe, his heart was broken, but, man, she was free-spirited. Listen, you, you have a choice. Everybody has a choice. We can choose if we want to live that life, or we can choose to stay home with Christ. So anyhow, she goes... And everything was pretty cool because the boyfriend has a cousin in Chicago. And he goes, man, come on in. And you just stay as long as you want. We just party. Everything is cool. Well, that lasted about two weeks. Two weeks. And the boyfriend says, I'm, you know, his cousin says, I'm, I'm kind of tired of you guys. I think I'm going to kick you out. And he did. He kicked them out. And the boyfriend turned to Madeline and said... I think this is where I'm going to check out, too. And so he left her. And there she was in Chicago, all alone, no money, nothing. She met this lady at a shelter, and she goes, Listen, I know a way that you can make money. Are you interested? She said, Yes, I'm interested, because I don't have any money. I'm, I'm miles and miles from home, and it's cold outside. She said, You can become a strip club dancer. You'd be amazed at the money you will make. And she said, I'm all in. And she did. The first couple times were really strange. She was embarrassed. As these men, gaudy eyes, staring at her, she took her clothes off. And she said, at first, I was incredibly embarrassed because this was a far cry from the dance. I used to dance with my dad. But you know, sin has a way of desensitizing you. After a couple of times, you're embarrassed, you have this guilt. Well, guess where that's from? That's from God. That's God's megaphone conscience saying you shouldn't do that. Well, she suppressed that, and her life just went downhill. The boyfriend's cousin kept getting these letters from a guy named Joe in Minnesota. And he just had enough of it, so he found her— the young lady, Madeline, that he had kicked out of his apartment, he brought this bucket load of letters and said, these letters keep coming to me. Here, they're yours. Why don't you take them? And, and she was blown away because she, she saw that for every week she had been gone, her dad had written her two and three letters every week. And the guy said, why don't you just tell your dad where you are, give him your address, so he'll quit sending me these stinking letters, and you'll get all these. He's a really nice guy, by the way, really, really sharp champion of a guy. And she said, well, I can't do that. And here's why. He will know where I am. And he'll know what I'm doing. One evening she came to work and she was getting dressed or undressed, however you look at it. And she was looking on the dresser and there was a a letter. No postmark. Just had her name written on it. And she goes, I know what this means. And this lady walked by and she goes, yes, you know what it means. He's a big guy. He walked right in here. He put this on your dresser. And he told me to tell you, open it up, please read it, and you'll know what it means. She took that letter. And after her night of work, she went went to her little apartment She took out those dozens of letters, and she began to open them. She began to read them. They all said the same thing. Every single letter said the same thing, including this one. She got up. She went to the bus stop. She got on a bus. She got back to Minnesota. It was Christmas Eve. She walked through the door, and the family said, Joe... There's somebody, we don't even hardly recognize her. There's somebody here, and she wants to see you. They help the door, and in walks his daughter, and she's holding this lantern. She said, if the question is still available, the answer is yes. And She dropped the, the mail. The dad picked her up in his arms, and they began to dance. Here was the question. Every letter, every single time, said the same thing and it ended this way. Will you come home and dance with your papa one more time? Just one more time. You see, that's the love of God. He is not willing that any of us perish, but some of us are intentional in our perishing. We want to perish. And yet God reaches down, and he sends us love letter after love letter. There are like 66 of them in in this book. And the message is the same. There's a scarlet thread that runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and it says, I love you. I love you. Do not choose. Please do not go that way. Come back to me. Come to the one who created you. I love you. I don't wish that anybody would perish, but I intend for everyone to be saved. So let, let's look through this text uh, quickly this, this morning as I share this message with you entitled, The Day of the Lord. First of all, in verse 8, he says, Beloved, please stop. Don't you know that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and thousand years is as one day? It's interesting what Peter does here. He actually quotes a verse of Scripture. In Psalm chapter 90, verse 4, it says, For a thousand years in your sight, are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night so Peter he does something here very insightful whenever you find yourself in an argument with heresy or when you find yourself with some people who are preaching a dogma that is antithetical to the very clear teaching of Scripture. And by the way, it is a brand of gospel that is extremely appealing, and it is incredibly enticing, and it is very tempting in America today. And let me, let me recapitulate it for you for just a minute. It does not matter how you live. It doesn't matter. God forgives. We all go to heaven. Don't make a big fuss out of it. Eat, drink, have sex, be merry, and then you die and you all go to heaven. And Peter says, that's not true. That is not true. That is a lie from the devil. You can choose though, But please don't be deceived. One day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like one day. The reason it looks so long to you is this. God is outside of time. We are bound by the parameters of time. God is... Outside time. He created time. Time doesn't apply to him. He is. There's no past. There's no future with God. He is. He just is. Everything is with God. And one writer put it this way, and I like this. He said, people see time against time, but God sees time against eternity. In fact, time only seems long because man's finite perspective. What to people, including scoffers, may seem like a long time, is to the Lord very, very short. The present church age, for example, 2,000 years, is but a day or two in God's estimation. So in verse 8, Peter is given his remonstrance. He's given his rebuttal. He is countering the arguments of the false prophets and the teachers. And then here it is in verse 9, the really the pinnacle one of the high-water mark texts, the pinnacle apex text of the entire Word of God. He says, and let me read it to you again, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. He he is not slow. God is not dull. Okay, He's anything but. As some would attribute this slackness or slowness to God. But just the contrary, God is long-suffering. Let me give you a definition of that word. It means to be patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others. Please don't miss that. Long-suffering, patience means this is where God is so patient that He bears the offense and the injury of others. God is not slack. He's long-suffering toward us. Here it is. Don't miss this. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And, And there you have the diametrically opposed options once again. You can choose this life which ends in destruction and perishing, and it is appealing. In fact, the Bible says that in sin there is pleasure for a time. But then you gotta, you got to pay up. you got to end with a rejection of God where you perish and you go to hell, or you can repent and say, God, I'm sorry, have mercy on me, and you can go to heaven. Those are your choices. You I don't think I agree with that. It really isn't up for debate. You have a choice: you can choose death or you can choose life. And there's an interesting verse in Ezekiel 33:11. Let me share this verse with you, right quick. Ezekiel 33:11 says, "As I live," says the Lord God. Now, by the way, when I was teaching evangelism in seminary, I had a, a strong—I <laughs> had a young man. In, well, no, he's older than me. He's working on his PhD in theology. He's very bright, brilliant. And he, he thought it was his mission in life as a hyper-Calvinist to make my life miserable, okay? And he was. He was strong. He reported me to the president, to Dr. Patterson, who fortunately had my back or I would have been in trouble. He said to me, he says, Dr. Forshee, this verse gives me heartburn. It's a very difficult verse for me as a Calvinist. And I said, I said, well, what is it? He says, It says, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I just wish it wasn't that way. And I was like, well, okay, let's let's read it. As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, he says, turn. Can I translate that for you? Repent, repent. Repent, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? So you see here in this text and many other texts that God loves us. He is not willing that we perish. You say, but Brother Dan, what about election? And what about predestination? And what about reprobation and damnation? What about those things? Well, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about it today, but in a few weeks, I'm going to take the entire systematic theology class that I'm teaching. You may not want to miss that one. (laughs) You, You may want to come to that one. It's in the spring sometime, and we are going to go through each each one. Free will, sovereignty of God. And by the way, while I'm here, y'all mind if I just talk to y'all for a few minutes about this? Okay? It's gonna make some of you really happy. It's gonna make some of you a little unhappy. Okay. But I have the gift of making people unhappy. I just do. I I have this amazing gift. You, you love me or you hate me, and that's that's the way it is with, with me. It's interesting. So I'm glad my family loves me and they're with me. First of all, whenever you deal with election and predestination, sovereignty of God, and the freedom of man. You must be at peace with mystery. If you're not at peace with mystery, you're going to have a hard time with these, what seemingly appear to be antithetical doctrines. But let me tell you this. God elects, God predestines, God knows, God saves, and man has a free will and a free choice in the whole matter. You said, that's impossible. How is that? James Packer calls it an antinomy. Antinomy means you have these two opposite truths, but they're both right. And my interpretation of election and predestination would go like this, Romans eight twenty nine and 1 Peter 1, 2. That God in his prognosis, God in his foreknowledge knows what we're going to do. And based on his knowledge, he elects us or passes over us. Now, I believe that. But I know that there are people in this church and I know that there are many people in Southern Baptist Zion and especially in the Reformed Presbyterian who absolutely, unequivocally disagree with what I just said. And here's what they say. No, no, no. God elects, God chooses, God predetermines who He's going to save, who He's not going to save and you have really no choice in the matter. Because God just knows, and He's going to choose, and He is He's going to choose some for salvation, and the others are what you call reprobation. But before you criticize them too much, you need to realize they have strong biblical argument. You say, "But where in the world is that? Is that the Book of Hezekiah somewhere?" No, no book. No, it's the Book of Romans actually. Romans nine through eleven. It'll mess you up in your Arminian theology. Okay, just like these texts mess you up in your Calvinistic theology mystery. You've got to be at peace with mystery. And that's where I disagree with Dr. Grudem. Dr. Grudem says, I've got it all figured out. No, you don't. Nobody figures this out. Nobody figures this out. You just go with the flow. You trust God when he says he elects, and you trust God where he says, whosoever will. Have I confused you thoroughly? Is it, anybody confused? Is it clear as mud? Okay, good. We're going to go on. However, If you are very Calvinistic, and and some of you are, you've told me this, okay? And I I get that, and I love you. Would you at least have the Calvinism of Calvin? (laughs) Who went door to door, knocking on people's doors, sharing the gospel with them. Did, Did you know that? Or the Calvinism of Jonathan Edwards, or Charles Spurgeon, or George Whitefield. A very passionate, zealous, missional Calvinism that says, I don't know, there's mystery, God knows, I'm a witness to everybody. I like that, by the way. I think that is a good way to go. All right, back, back to the story here. Back to uh, verse 9. Listen, you can't preach on verse 9 without doing what I just did. You can, and you can be disingenuous and just pass over it, but I think it's, in, it's incumbent upon me as a pastor and as a teacher to share at least with you what, what, I, what I believe. Not all will be saved. We know that for sure. It's not God's will that any should perish... But get this, most will perish. By the way, there are 3.8 billion people in the world today, they, they've hardly even heard his name. Okay? They don't even know there is a Jesus. They don't even know there is a way out. They know in their hearts that there's got to be hope because they look at the cosmos and they know there has to be a creator. There has to be a God. They feel the pang of, of death. They feel it in their spirit. They feel it in their conscience. And they, and they cry out, is, is there any hope? Is there any God out there? And that's where you and I come in. And we step in and say, yes, his name is Jesus and there's hope. That, that's, that's our job. I had a buddy of mine tell me one time, he said, the the destiny of those who've never heard is not God's problem. That's our problem. That's good theology too, by the way. So let's move into consequences in law. In verse 9, those that uh, perish are those who reject God's offer of forgiveness and eternal life. I'm, I'm preparing you for verse 10 because verse 10 is very, very difficult. God in his kindness leads us to repentance, Romans 2, 4. Stay with me. He calls you. He draws you. He convicts you. he, He does everything that God should do. And by the way, Genesis 18, 35 says, Will not you, the judge of all the earth, do that which is right? He always does right. But this is where we come in. We can embrace him or we can reject him. You say that's very myopic. That, that, that is, I, I I'm not into that. I, I'm more into options. I'm into plethora. I'm into multiplicity. I'm into multi-options, brother. I don't want this option of you either get saved or you go to hell. You, you, you must be smoking something, preacher. You've got to be out of your mind. People don't believe that anymore. There's a better option than turn or burn, get right or get left. Come on now, open up your mind. I tell you the truth, there are no other options. If there were, I would tell you, there are none. You either either believe in Christ, and you accept Him, or you accept your fate or your destiny. Now, most of us at Great Hills in this conservative evangelical bastion of faith, we believe all of that, but not really. Do we? Many are practicing atheists. Some who just clout, say you believe that, but you won't even go across the street and witness to your neighbor. So you don't really believe it. No, am I right? Whoa, 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 no, 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 it's it's just that when's the last time you've gone overseas to tell the 3.8 billion people who are dying and going to hell? When's the last time you went and told them? Well, 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 then you don't believe it. You really don't believe it. For if you believed it, there's a hell and there's a heaven. If you really deep down believed it, you would live differently. Now, y'all help me. Am Am I being too hard? Is that not true? Listen, guys, if we believe it, then let us live it. Let us go to our neighbors. Let us go to the nations. Let us tell the world, listen, there is a God, and He loves you, and Jesus died for you, and and what you have to do is turn and repent and believe. Listen, when you do that, you've done your job. Your job is not to convict them, not even to convert them. Your job is to tell them God does all the rest. He takes all the pressure. All He asks us to do is be His people and be obedient. Now this day of the Lord thing, let's talk about this uh, for just a moment. Peter and Paul and Jesus all say the same thing. They say the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, if you were a thief, how would you go to somebody's house? Would you knock on the door and say, Hello, thief here, thievery, robbery. Hello, I'm coming in. No, you wouldn't do it. You would come suddenly, unexpectedly, with great surprise, with great craft. You would come to a house. Jesus, Peter, and Paul all say at the end of time, that's how it's going to happen. At a time, you do not expect it. It will happen. The day of the Lord We'll begin. Now, now keep this in mind. The day of the Lord, eschatologically speaking, which means in time speaking, the day of the Lord encompasses the day that Christ comes and the rapture for His church all the way to the end where the, heaven, the new heavens and the new earth are created by God. And it'll go something like this. Jesus said, Watch therefore, for you don't, you don't really know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. This is the Son of God speaking. This is Jesus Christ himself. He says, be ready, for I am coming at an hour you do not expect, like a thief in the night. If you don't believe Jesus, then try believe in Peter. And if you don't believe them, believe this guy, Paul. Paul in 1 Thessalonians, he said, "...for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord..." There it is. This all-encompassing eschatological phraseology. "...the day of the Lord will so come as a..." Here it is. "...a thief in the night." Listen. When it happened in in Noah's day and the flood came, man, it came suddenly and powerfully... And when Jesus comes and the clock of God begins to wind down and things will happen with such rapidity and you can't stop it when it's set in motion, you're either with God or you're against God. If you don't believe that, then read the book of Revelation. And finally, John says these words. Then I saw a great white throne. This is Revelation 20, 11. And him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place for them. Right before that, it says that the heavens and the earth are burned up. They're thrown away, evaporated. And then 21.1 says, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no more sea. So the day of the Lord encompasses the rapture of the church, the great tribulation, the return of Christ, the millennial reign of Christ, and then eons and eons, time for all eternity, we're in this new heaven and new earth with the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who paid the price for our sins, and we reign with Him forever and we worship Him forever. And it's so amazing to me that all these Amazing movies that come out like The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. The reason they're so popular is they touch into this epic story of good versus evil. And it's going to go down just like God said it would go down. Now, let me close with this commercial. Okay. Coming January, about the middle of January, I'm finally going to do it. I am going to teach Revelation verse by verse, word for word... Until Jesus comes or until I finish, okay? And, and here's the deal. Here's the deal. It's going to be intense with a capital I, okay? I was in, well, I almost said the state. Then you would know exactly who it was. I was in a big state in our country. And I had a popular, amazing pastor come up to me personally, look me in the face and said, you can't do that. If I said his name, everybody in this church would know exactly who he is. He pointedly at me and he said, you cannot teach the book of Revelation in your church. It will kill your church. That's what he told me. And my heart broke because I just preached the book of Revelation in my other church. Instead of us dying, we grew. Instead of going broke, we had more money and what we knew. And God just enormously blessed us. And so my heart broke because he just told me something that wasn't true. Because he said, and he went on, he said, people don't want to hear that stuff. People don't want to hear judgment and bowls and seals and trumpets and doom and gloom. They want to be encouraged, positive and encouraging. Caleb, that, that's what they want. You know, Do that. Don't do that. If you do this, it will kill your church. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to do it, and I want to see where y'all come out on it, okay? I'm just going to do it. And God says in his word that if I will do this, he promises me he will bless us. Did you know that? He will. He will bless us. So, so we're, we're, we're going to give it a shot. Come January, you say, why are, you, why are you wringing your hands, Brother Danny? Why do you seem nervous? Have you read Revelation? <laughs> Have you studied it? It is intense with a capital. Ah, it is. But I promise you, you will learn more than you thought you could learn. It's, it's amazing. This book is absolutely amazing. Who knows, Jesus might come when we're right in the middle of it. Wouldn't that be awesome? So today, back, back, to our, uh, back to our day of the Lord, our commercial, our catapulting right into January, can we stop here for just a moment and say, choose you this day whom you will serve. Here's your options. A, you live like you want to live, and you die like you do not want to die. And okay? I'm serious. Some of y'all look at me like, you're delusional. You're just delusional. You know, there's a group out today. I heard them on CNN. Amazing. Has to be true, right? It's on CNN. And I I was listening to it, and this guy came on the commercial. He said, hey, to all my atheist friends. I was like, that's interesting. To all my agnostics, secularists, and humanistic friends, I want to tell you something. I was like, dude, what is this? I'm driving down the road. It's Friday afternoon, okay? The day after Thanksgiving. I go to the gym. I ate too much, all right? And I'm driving down the road, and I'm listening. He goes, yeah, let me tell you where you're going. I was like, whoa, this is CNN. He says, you're going straight to... I said, he's not going to say it. This is CNN. He goes, you're going straight to our website, godless.com. For all the atheists and all the secularists and all the humanists, you're tired of religion? I am too. You're tired of all this God talk? I am too. So let me show you how you can live godless and happy and free. And, man, let me tell you about our godless camps we have. I was like, wow. No, no, this is what I did. I'm serious, David. This this is what I did. I looked up to heaven. I said, God, have mercy. I said, God, please. I beg you, please. Because I'm going to tell you guys, the way this commercial was written, it it was in the face of God. I mean, it was, it was a brutal attack on the person of Christ. And then I come, the very Sunday I'm supposed to preach this sermon. It's like the Holy Spirit says, do you not understand verse 9? And I got it. The only reason, the only reason he has not already come is because he's patient. That's what verse 9 is all about. He's given you one more chance. He's given you one more chance. But when that day is over, there will be no more chances. And and some of you will die and go to hell who are sitting right here today. I promise you, some of you are on your way to hell, and you will go to hell. And you will be, and by the way, hell is not a Budweiser and a marijuana joint, okay? It's not it at all. It is a horrific place of isolation and darkness and suffering. And you're going to go. And for all eternity, you're going to hear this sermon. And you're going to hear me say, but I told you, but I told you, but I warned you, but I told you. But here's why you'll go to hell. You will not humble yourself. You will not say, you're right, Brother Danny. God is right, and I am wrong. You cannot do that because you think, that to give up this partying and to give up this libertarian kind of thinking, if you gave that up, then, man, you would just be miserable. And your life would be, it would be like, oh, it should be horrible. But that's that's it. You choose. Choose that life and go to hell or choose this life with Christ and service. And here's what you get, what's amazing about this, is when you step over to Christ, you just thought you were having fun. It's, it's amazing. He forgives your past, he cleanses you, and you're on your way to heaven. He makes you a missionary, so you tell as many people as you can, and that's how you end your life. So, that's our invitation to you today. There are some of you here today, and uh, your family invited you, and you're like, what in the world have I come to? I did not know people even believe the Bible anymore. I surely didn't think people even preached the Bible anymore. And that guy's up there, he's preaching like, like he believes it, like Benjamin Franklin said of George Whitfield. He said, I don't believe what he preaches, but I believe he believes what he preaches. And I do believe it. I believe it with all my heart. I believe it so much that I will tell you the truth with the chance of offending you. Father, we pray today this would be a day of invitation, a day of salvation. We ask you, Almighty God, that you would have mercy upon us again and you would stay your hand of judgment. That God, during this very moment at 12 o'clock on a Sunday morning, that God, as the gospel has been preached and it has been shared with, with our dear people today and people listening on television and the internet and so forth, God, may they realize the immediacy and the urgency of the hour. That God, we have a choice, but it's not your desire that any of us should perish but that we all would turn, repent, believe, and be saved. So, Lord, I pray with all my heart. Lord, I just ask you in Jesus' name, for that young man who is determined to go to hell, God, you would save him. You would rescue him. For that young lady or for that senior adult lady, Lord, who is just determined that she will not believe this, God, would you please have mercy, extend grace and your kindness and your forbearance and your long-suffering and your patience to them for just a few more moments. And may they at this moment come to faith in Christ. Lord, I really believe there are those here today that if they don't get saved today, they will never get saved. I believe in my heart this is the last chance for somebody. And God, I beg you, I really beg you because you tell us your spirit does not always strive with men. You tell us that he who hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. So we pray today, God, may they really contemplate and think about it deeply. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And am I going to take a chance that God is mistaken? So Lord, I'm just praying that you would do what only you can do. I pray that during this time of invitation, there would be hearts that are softened, lives that are changed. God, people who are born again, people who embrace Christ. Oh Lord, may you do it for your glory. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Would you stand to your feet? Let's sing a song of invitation to the Lord. Terry's going to lead us and we'll have pastors, we'll have counselors, we'll have people here at the front. Hey, listen, we we will do everything we can for you, but I cannot take that step for you. You have to step out and give your life to Christ. So I'm going to pray for you even now as you come.